Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and find 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 will be our text for the morning hour. I wish President uh, Aiken had not just spoken what he said about all the people who gave these lectures. (laughs) Makes me feel like a mule at the Kentucky Derby. But nevertheless, I'm delighted to be here and to share with you the burden of my heart, the joy of my heart, which is to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I had been called to preach just maybe three months and I'd come home from spring break and uh, a friend of my mother's called Mrs. Garner. She was a widow. She taught fourth grade for decades in our small town. She was an active member of our church and she asked to speak to me and she said, I want you to come to the ladies' study club on such and such a day and give a talk on Hawaii. Well, I said, Miss Garner, I don't know a thing about Hawaii. I've never been there, don't know anything about it. I just know it's an island somewhere in the Pacific. She said, well, I have a book on Hawaii. I'll drop it by the house, and you can read it and prepare a talk. And she was my mother's friend, so I, I capitulated read the book, prepared a talk on Hawaii, went to the study club. That was an ordeal in itself. I mean, these are ladies with white gloves on and their Sunday go-to-meeting clothes, and they give you a a plate with some, well, not much on it, but a cookie or something, and a cup of tea, and you got to juggle, you got something in one hand and something in the other. How do you get it in your mouth? It was quite a challenge, but I made the talk on Hawaii and survived the experience. Though I was only 19 years of age, I purposed in my heart that day, never, no, never again would I let somebody determine what I'm going to say when I speak. And always, from that day forward, I would always lift high the Lord Jesus Christ and the banner of his cross. So today I want you to think with me about Jesus Christ and him crucified our Our text for this morning is uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2. We'll begin with verse 1 and read through verse 5. I invite you to follow along. Uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned these words. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I want us to look at all five of these verses, but I want to suggest this morning that the key verse in this paragraph is verse 2. Let's look at it again. Paul said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him 
crucified. Much of what I'm going to say today, like much of what I said on Tuesday, will be autobiographical because uh, I've been invited to talk to you about preaching. I just want to share from the overflow of my experience. I've tried to model my ministry after the Apostle Paul, whom I consider to be the greatest man who ever lived other than our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not trying to put myself in, in, in Paul's uh, league at all. I, I don't want to imply that. I'm just saying he's, he's been my, my role model. And especially at this point where Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we think about this text this morning. I want you to think with me about two axioms that I see in this passage of Scripture. First, we'll consider the weakness of the messenger, and then secondly, we'll consider the power of the message. But first, think with me about the weakness of the messenger. The Apostle Paul describes himself in this passage as a weak messenger. Look again in verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Well, Paul had been preaching in Athens. He was uh, there on Mars Hill with the intellectuals of that day in that great city of, of learning. Well, Paul said, when I came to you, when I came to, to Corinth, he said, I, I, I didn't come to debate philosophy with you. I didn't come as an eloquent, articulate orator. He said, I, I came to talk to you about the testimony about God. Now, what I've read is some scholars say Paul was an articulate speaker, but I think not. Paul himself said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9 of himself, some say his letters are forceful and weighty, but in person he is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. That was Paul's assessment of his own speaking, or at least what others said of him. So when he says, I didn't come with superior wisdom, he's talking about the sophists here, and they were noted for their eloquence in speech. It didn't matter what the subject was. They were just really good at talking and listening to one another speak. And so when Paul comes in this, to this city, he comes, he makes no attempt to hold his own with, the, with these, uh, these sophists, but instead he comes to proclaim Christ and him crucified. The fact of the matter is, Paul could have held his own. I expect he was the most brilliant of all the people in the city of Corinth in the time he was there one and a half years in Corinth. He was highly educated. His letters are brilliant. You certainly can see that when you, when you read uh, uh, the Pauline letters found in the New Testament. But again in verse 1, Paul's focus was the testimony about God and verse 2, specifically about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I resolved, I purposed in my heart, I determined that I would exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ. So we see that Paul recognizes his own weakness here. Look again in verse 3. He said, I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. J.B. Phillips, in his translation of the New Testament, translated that phrase, weakness and fear we much trembling with, I was nervous and rather 
shaky. Well, me too. I've preached more than 6,000 times over the last 50-something years, and it's only been in the last four or five years that I don't shake before I preach. I don't know what happened four or five years ago, but I quit shaking. But on Sunday morning, as I was preparing my heart to go to the pulpit, my hands would shake like this. And when I would baptize candidates and they would say, I'm nervous, I'd just take my hand out and you'd be shaking like this. Say, you and I both, you'll be fine. We haven't lost anybody yet by drowning. In fact, to, to her dying day, my mother was, was amazed that I could stand up in front of uh, more than 10 people and say anything because I was the shyest, most timid little boy you ever knew. I'm not saying that Paul was, was timid, but I'm just saying he recognized his own human frailty. And that should give us encouragement. And so we're going to honest with ourselves. We all have weaknesses and, and, and frailties. It was the great Hudson Taylor who opened inland China to the gospel who said, and I quote, all God's giants have been weak people. We, we know Charles Spurgeon as the prince of preachers and perhaps the greatest preacher since Paul. But he understood that uh, he was a weak man and power, God's power was released through his weakness. In his early years as a preacher, he sometimes stuttered. All of his life, Spurgeon struggled with depression Later in life, he struggled with, with uh, attacks of gout. And occasionally he was in such pain that when he was called upon to preach on the Lord's Day, he had to put a knee on a chair and cling to the pulpit rail as he spoke the gospel. He sometimes said he felt terribly sick before preaching as if he were crossing the Atlantic Channel. Furthermore, in addition to all of his physical infirmities, Spurgeon suffered uh, great uh, ridicule at, the, at the, the press in London. The Saturday Review called him, quote, coarse, stupid, an irrational bigot, and later called him an ignorant, conceited fanatic. That was the, that was the situation that uh, the great Spurgeon had to face. And so the Apostle Paul knew what it was to experience his own weakness and frailty. But Paul also knew uh, that there was power in the gospel. Uh, look, look just across the page at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want, to, I want us to look at verses 17 through uh, 25 as, uh, as an illustration of what, we're, what Paul was talking about in chapter 2. Verse 17, chapter 1, For Christ did not send me to baptize. Now he did baptize. He named some people he baptized. But to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Uh, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Then Paul asked these series of questions. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world, the world through his wisdom did not know him, 
God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. He's not saying here that preaching is foolish. He's saying that the gospel to the carnal, unregenerate heart and mind is foolishness. Because those who do not know Christ, they, they have a pretty high opinion of themselves or they would come to Christ. You know, they, they, they weigh their, their, their life, they measure themselves against other people and they, in their own assessment, measure up to be pretty good folk. So this, this message of the gospel that we preach of Jesus Christ and him crucified, that, that's foolishness to the natural man. Verse 22, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the, wis and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. God's foolishness is, is wiser than all the faculty members at all the Ivy League schools in America. And God's power is greater than all the power in all the nuclear arsenals of whatever nations have nuclear weapons. And it's found in Christ. And it's found in the bloody cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul had the intellectual capacity to hold his own with the intellects of the first century world, but Paul determined not to do that. Paul said, when I came, I came to speak to you, I came bearing one message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. He just focused on the cross of Christ. Scottish theologian James Denny said, and I quote, no man can at the same time show himself to be clever and Jesus Christ mighty to save. Bernard of Clairvaux said, yesterday I preached myself and the scholars came up and praised me. Today I preach Christ and the sinners came up and thanked me. We need to remember that our target are sinners. Sinners who've been loved by God, who sent his one and only son to be the atoning sacrifice for their eternal salvation. That, that, that's, our, that's our target. That, that's our audience. We, we're there to point them to Jesus and the cross of Christ. And if you feel weak, well, you're in good company. Because this preacher feels weak. And most preachers feel weak. And if they don't feel weak, they ought to feel weak because we are weak. Paul talked about his weakness. The weakness of the messenger. But secondly, I want you to look with me and think with me about the power of the message. This gospel message is a powerful message. Look again in verses 4 and 5. My message, Paul writes, and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. I say it again, he knew plenty of wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And I think in this particular situation, he's not talking about signs and wonders, though certainly there were numerous signs and wonders that were performed at his hand. I think he's talking about conversion, new birth. 
guilty sinners receiving the forgiving, cleansing grace of God, being made new in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So my message, my preaching, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Only the Holy Spirit can bring a sinner to new life in Christ. Only the Spirit of God can convict a sinner of his or her sinfulness and his, his or her need of a Savior. And men without Jesus are dead. Women without Jesus are dead, not physically, not soulishly, but they are dead spiritually. And what a dead person needs is not good advice. What a dead person needs is some good news that a Savior has come who is Jesus Christ the Lord. He suffered and bled and died on a on a, on a bloody cross, rose on the third day, that all who repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Him can be made the sons and daughters of God and live in the family of God for all eternity. And this power is found in the Word of God and in the Gospel of God. Evangelist Billy Graham said, and I quote, I have found that when I present the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with authority, quoting the very word of God, he takes that message and drives it supernaturally into the human heart. And indeed he does. That's why Paul could say, I, look again in verse 2, I resolve to know nothing. While I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was Paul's determination. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Everything that Paul preached was tied and lashed to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not that he didn't know or speak to or address matters like Christian joy or Christian ethics or Christian fellowship or Christian missions or, or whatever. I mean, we have, the, we have the Pauline letters. He addresses all of these, but it's, it is always and ever in the context of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Paul's message was gospel-centered. It was cross-centered at all times. Professor Jim Chaddox has said in his book, The Passion-Driven Sermon, and I quote, I think what he, Paul, means is that he set his mind to be so saturated with the crucifying power of the cross that in everything he said and did in all his preaching, there would be the aroma of death. Death to self-reliance. Death to pride. Death to boasting in man. In this aroma of death, the life that people would see would be the life of Christ. And the power that people would see would be the power of of God. And so we need to be like John the Baptist and say he must increase of Jesus and we must decrease. Now Jesus Christ and him crucified is offensive to many. It's always been the case. The, 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 the Christian Life, the, the, the gospel of Christ is countercultural. It, it's true today. It's always been true. It's true in the first century. It's perhaps more obvious today 
at least as I reflect upon it, from where I am now, these many decades into gospel ministry than when I sat where you sat 50, almost 50 years ago. But it, it's offensive. Oxford philosopher Sir Alfred Ayer said, of all the world religions, Christianity is the worst. He, he said it because it rested on the allied doctrines of original sin and vicarious atonement, which Ayer said, are intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. That's what the natural man thinks about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you preach Christ and him crucified, and you preach Jesus as the one and only Savior from sin, and uh, you, you're going to get some pushback. Uh, when I first came to be pastor of Lakeview Baptist Church, about the fourth or fifth Sunday, on a Sunday morning, I preached a simple message from John 14, 6. It's a very familiar text to all of you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Now, I knew I was stepping into a hornet's nest when I went to be pastor there. Only got 82% of the votes. 145 people voted yes, and 20 people no, voted no. And and I knew the 20 people who voted no that because there was a standing vote that five of the 20 who voted no were currently serving deacons. I think after being to my first deacons meeting, I think it had been nine of the 12 that have voted no had it been ballot, but they weren't willing to take a public stand against me coming because. That had a, a rather new orthodox pastor, and uh, that hadn't worked out well for him. He had gathered around himself like-minded people, and uh, so they were opposed to me. I was uh, a fundamentalist. Well, that's not a term I've ever used to describe myself. I'm just a biblicist. I believe the whole Bible. Every miracle happened just as it says it happened. Every historical event occurred just as it said it occurred. So I go out on the Sunday morning and uh, I preach this, this message. It's a message I'd preached many times when I was a youth evangelist. God had blessed it. And I knew there were feminists in the church. I knew there were evolutionists in the church. But what I did not know at that point was there were some pluralists and some universalists in the church. And and when the service was over, I was amazed. Somebody came up to me and said, oh, uh, Brother Al, I can't believe how much courage you demonstrated today to preach such a controversial subject. And then a second person said it. And then several people said that to me that day and in following days. And I thought, what's controversial about Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? I remember thinking to myself, I'm saving the controversial stuff to year two. I'm just giving you the simple stuff right now, but they thought it was controversial. Now, <laughs> it's not controversial at Lakeview anymore. You know that, but it was then. And so, you know, when you're the only <clears throat> fundamentalist in town, you get a reputation. Thank God there's some more people who believe the book in our city now, many more. 
lots of new churches, Baptists and otherwise, that believe the gospel. So I was, uh, I was in my, my, uh, my study on a Saturday night. Honestly, I don't think I was preparing. I think I was doing something else. It doesn't really matter. But uh, uh, it was about 8 o'clock, and I heard someone at the far end of the, of the office area opening and closing doors, and I just thought it was somebody else on staff. My office at the end of the hall. This person came down the hall, and uh, my, my door was open, and he looked inside and saw me sitting there. He didn't expect anybody to be there. He thought there was nobody there on Saturday night. And when he saw me, it frightened him. He had that deer-in-the-headlights look, and he turned, and he started running down the hallway, and I got up and chased him. I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You come back here, you stop. But he didn't take my rebuke to heart. And he ran outside, and I chased him across the churchyard through the neighborhood, and I had some deck shoes on. I ran out of one of them, and, and I had to put it stop and put it back on. And when I did, he was gone. But it turned out, I called the police. He was, uh, he was arrested. I won't tell you all the details, but he spent the, he spent the weekend in jail, and then he was released on, on bail. I don't know who did his bail, but... but uh, a few weeks later, I got summoned to go to city court because his, his case was coming up. And so I go there, and he's there, along with many other people. And most of them are getting either 30 days in jail or uh, a $300 fine. And so when, uh, when, when his name was called, he went up and stand before Judge Bailey, and I, I went up and stood beside him. And I said, uh, I said Your Honor, I said... Uh, I have an unusual request to make. I said, instead of uh, sentencing uh, Mr. Palook here to 30 days in jail, because I knew he didn't have the $300 to pay a fine, would you instead sentence him to come to Lakeview Baptist Church every Sunday for the next three months and hear me preach? And Judge Betty looked at uh, Stanley and said, uh, Mr. Palook, are you willing to do that? And I thought, I thought he was going to hug my neck because he didn't want to go back to jail. So Galway came down, and he sent us in to come hear me preach for three months, 13 Sundays. Stanley turned to walk out, and I fell in behind him. He was going to go out the door, and I said, come here, Stanley, sit down. I'm going to talk to you. I said, now, you heard what Judge Bailey said. Yes. And I said, uh, I want to see you on the front row every Sunday for the next 13 Sundays. And if there's a Sunday that you don't, I want to make sure that you're there, I want you to shake my hand. And the first Sunday you don't show up at 8 o'clock on Monday morning, I'm calling the judge and you're going to jail. Shook his head sheepishly. Then I got out my business card. I wrote on there the, the time of the service. I said, now, I know you know where the church is, Stanley. I expect you there. He came every Sunday for 13 Sundays. Now, he hadn't been back on Sunday since then. This was decades ago. <laughs> so, word got around town. And one wag said, I'd rather go to jail for 30 days than hear Jackson preach for 13 Sundays. <laughs> I told you yesterday, preaching would be dangerous to your ego. 
Everybody doesn't want to hear the message that Jesus saves, that he's not just the best way to heaven, he's the only way to heaven. We Christians don't just go to heaven first class while everybody goes tourist class. You either go through the bloody cross of the Lord Jesus Christ or you have no hope of eternal life. And we live in a world in which this message is becoming increasingly unpopular and increasingly countercultural. But I want to tell you, I can't think of a better time than to preach the gospel of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ than 2022 in the United States of America, in the world. Yeah. So the Apostle Paul here says... I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Fact of the matter is that we have the message of hope. We ought to proclaim the message of hope. When I was a young preacher, I was often asked to speak at baccalaureate services. We don't even have them anymore. Not in our town. And I preached Jesus always, always and ever. Soon after I went to Auburn, maybe the third year, the Spirit of God was moving in an incredible way among our teenagers. And they were all fired up for Jesus. And somehow they went to the school administration and persuaded whoever made the call to invite their young pastor to preach baccalaureate. And so I preached Jesus. And uh, a number of people came up and said, I can't believe how often you use the word Jesus in your sermon. It was the talk of the faculty lounge the next week. And I'm thinking, well, why, why invite a Baptist preacher to, to high school baccalaureate? If you're going to be surprised, he's talking about Jesus. So, uh, fast forward 15 years, our son Josh Joshua graduates high school. Oh, by the way, I never got asked to do baccalaureate ever again, ever. But our, 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 our son, Josh, has baccalaureate, so we go. The speaker is a Baptist pastor. He never mentions Jesus. Two years later, our daughter, Hannah, graduates. We go to baccalaureate, another Baptist pastor. He didn't mention Jesus. Two years later, our youngest daughter, Naomi, baccalaureate, a Christian pastor, not one time was the name Jesus spoken. Uh, a Buddhist or a Hindu or any do-gooder could have given what they said. What a wasted opportunity. We have been called to proclaim the glorious gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, 
And I read it to you again. I want to rivet this, this second verse of chapter 2 in your memory bank because I want you to walk away from this message this morning saying with the Apostle Paul, I have resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. John Stott said of this Corinthian passage, we have a weak message. That's Christ crucified, proclaimed by weak preachers, full of fear and trembling, received by weak hearers, the socially despised, where God chose a weak instrument, Paul, to bring a weak message, the cross, to weak people, the Corinthian working class. But through this triple weakness, the power of God was and is still displayed. And indeed it is. And so these many years now, since I was 19, I have preached the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I had a thousand lifetimes, I wouldn't even want to be a Major League Baseball player and even one. I'd want to be a preacher of the gospel in every one of those thousand lifetimes. B.H. Carroll was the founder and the first president of the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. He penned these words and they resonated in my heart down to this very hour. Dr. Carroll said, and I quote, I magnify my office. Oh my God, as I get near home, I can say more truthfully every year, I thank God that he put me in this office. I thank him that he would not let me have any other, that he shut me up to this glorious work. And when I get home among the blessed on the bank of everlasting deliverance and look back toward time and all of its clouds and sorrows and pains and privations, I expect to stand up and shout for joy that down there in the fog and the mist, down there in the dust and in the struggle, God let me be a preacher. I magnify my office in life. I magnify it in death. Whether I, I magnify it in heaven, I magnify it whether poor or rich, whether sick or well, whether strong or weak, anywhere, everywhere, among all people. Lord God, I am glad that I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Me too, Dr. Carroll. Me too. Let Congress make the laws. Let the President lead the nation. Let the barons on Wall Street make their millions. But let every blood-bought, God-called preacher say with the Apostle Paul, my one ambition is to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God our Father, may it be so for this preacher, for this faculty, for this student body, till you come again, preach Christ and Him crucified for His glory. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.